Happy New Year and welcome to episode 67 of the Planet LP podcast. Hope all of you had a nice holiday. Let's hope 2023 is a good year for all of us. With the new year comes new music. Keith Creighton will be here in a bit to talk not only about some new music releases, but we'll also be talking to a couple of artists whose music we really dug over the last few weeks and months. One artist is Ward White, whose new album, Ice Cream Chords, is on high rotation. At least it is on my playlist, and I think it is on Keith's as well. The other is the bass player from The Nervous Eaters. His name is Brad Hallen. The Nervous Eaters LP, Monsters and Angels, was a favorite of ours last year and made our best of 2022. We're still social, and if you are too, let's connect on the usual social media apps. On Groupie, we're at Planet LP. Instagram, it's the Planet LP. Same for Twitter. Facebook, just search for Planet LP. Email me at ted at Planet LP if you've got a suggestion for an episode or are a musical artist looking to talk about your work. Love to connect with you. And since you're already listening to this podcast on presumably an app or at planetlp.com, you don't need me to tell you where to find us, but you may have a friend, family member, or acquaintance who's a music fan and would love to add a podcast to their lineup. Well, just tell that person about Planet LP. We're on Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So let me just bring Keith in right now. Keith, Happy New Year, and thanks for coming back onto the pod. To you too. This is year number two with us. This is amazing. It is. It is. I'm excited about this. Time flies. Yeah, and I'm excited that we've got a couple of artists that uh, we really admire their work, and we're going to talk to them in a bit, but... We've got some new music to get to, and it might be a little bit of a compressed one because we've got a couple of interviews to shoehorn in there. We'll uh, cram them in. Yeah, so why don't we just dive right in and see what the new year has brought us? Well, I got big news, breaking news. You know, we just did in the previous podcast our year in review 2022, mm-hmm. the best albums. Well, I think right now I'm going to call it. I've already got the best albums of 2023 here. What? So we can just wrap up the year. So this is the <laughs> end of the year right now. The next five albums, we're done. How could the year get any better than this? All right. What, what do you got? That's okay, so crazy. Uh, probably the biggest album that's out right now is Iggy Pop's Every Loser. Mm-hmm. And so this one kind of comes up. Here are some strange bedfellows for Iggy Pop, you know? So everyone knows his work with... His work with David Bowie, and, mm-hmm. you know, he's actually worked with members of Guns N' Roses over the years, and so now they're back. But he kind of dives into 2022 or 2023. Sorry, That's gotta right. get that in the. Brain. I know it's, it's um, always it's always tough to remember that at the beginning of the year. It's kind of like yeah. Here's a trivia question: What does Eddie Vedder, Ozzy Osbourne, and Morrissey have in common with Iggy Pop? And that is superstar producer Andrew Watt, who kind of made his name with Justin Bieber of all people, and now oh. he is kind of this new champion to take legacy artists to kind of usher them into the modern age in terms okay. of giving them really some of the best music of their careers, but also really raucous, true to their brand, but polished pop records. So he did Ozzy, Ozzy and Eddie last year. Mm-hmm. Morrissey's album is kind of on the shelf right now as he works out his little damage with Capitol Records. But man, everybody came out for the Iggy Pop record. So if you didn't even just saw recently on Jimmy Kimmel Live, Iggy performed one of his songs and backed by Chad Smith of the Chili Peppers <laughs> on drums and Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses on guitar and also Watt also played guitar. And so then the band was called The Losers, but they are anything but. And oh my God, every loser is just track for track, wall to wall sound. 
Iggy's highest energy album probably since, you know, Brick by Brick in 89. Really? Yeah, it's just an amazing, huh. amazing record in terms of straddling the pop Iggy and basically almost every persona Iggy has had. Because, you know, he puts out those French spoken word poetic albums, Brick by Brick, one of my favorite records, and blah, 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 were very pop. And then he has all of his kind of more raw stuff, you know, like the really more hard edge stuff. Everything shows up on this record. Atlantic Records is really behind it. So they put out a million variants. You could buy all different kinds of covers. I bought one that came with a special edition of Punk Magazine that's dedicated solely to Iggy Pop. Hmm. You know, so I think that's going to be a really fun collector's record. But even without all the bells and whistles, and there's some autograph variants that are on Iggy's store. Oh my God, just wall to wall tracks, the best Iggy Pop record in ages. And he's 75. It's just amazing. He still has (laughs) more energy than all the scrappy young upstarts put together. And so. Highly, highly recommend Iggy Pop, Every Loser. Okay. And I like Brick by Brick. I mean, that one I still have. And I did like that song he did years ago with, with Josh Homme. was called Gardenia. Do you remember that yeah. one? Yeah. <laughs> the post-pop so, depression record. That's a yeah, really good record. It was a good one. So you've already called the, the best album of the yeah, year. Of the okay. So All far. Right. <laughs> we'll see how it stacks up. Let's see if it gets knocked there off. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to this podcast in right, December right. and see if any of these even make the top 10. But yeah, exactly. right now, oh my God, 2023 is off to a great start. All right. And let's see what we got up next. Okay, I'm going to keep the high energy going. So mm-hmm. if you saw a lot of people, you know, over here in the States streamed the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert live from London that Foo Fighters put on, right? where they brought then a, literally a universal cast of people that loved Taylor Hawkins to kind of pay tribute. One of the people that I didn't know that just completely crushed it was Sam Ryder. When he came out on stage, I thought, oh, my God, it's Will Forte, you know, comedian Will Forte doing another character. <laughs> I thought he was doing Edgar or Johnny Winter. You know, he's got the long hair, the yeah. grimace. And I'm like, OK, who is this dude? And then he opened up his pipes and holy crap, can this guy sing? OK. When I kind of like listen to him, he's kind of like Freddie Mercury and Adam Lambert, both eras of Queen together in one. You know, he's got the showmanship of Elton John and Bowie, the big vocals of Sam Smith, and that kind of alternative rock emo vibe that I get from Brandon Flowers of The Killers. And so his album is, it's called, There's Nothing But Space, Man. And so (laughs) Now there's there's a title where it has a well-placed comma, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just like let's eat grandma. You know, it's like, yeah, commas are everything. (laughs) And so he made his name on Eurovision representing the UK and in 2022 and, you know, did really well, you know, kind of UK's best placement there. But then I was surprised to find out he has been bumming around for years, fronting different bands, you know, from hardcore punk to all different kinds of sounds. And he's just one of those guys that had the voice, but never found the right outlet until Eurovision. And now with that and the Taylor Hawkins tribute, the time was ready for him to do a major label solo debut. And oh my God, this thing is nothing but bangers. Big, big, huge songs. You know, the kind of record that we really wanted Adam Lambert to put out when he first was on American Idol. And Lambert's got another great one coming out soon. And he's, you know, finally done his genius albums. But yeah, this is right out the gate. Just a big, big, if you like Queen and Bowie, you know, this is the album for you. So check out Sam Ryder. There's nothing but space, man. I'm going to, I'm going to add that one to my queue. We're just knocking them down. Let's see what's your next one here. The Killers. Okay. Do you remember a magical time when the Killers were brand new 
Yes, I do. And there were, and because it seemed like, you know, I was waiting after the 90s. The 90s, you know, had grunge and Britpop and Eurodance and all that. And I was kind of waiting for the 2000s because the thing is with the 2000s, unlike the 90s and the 80s and the 70s, there's really not a name for that decade. You call they it tried. the aughts, Yeah, they tried. Yeah. Yeah. The zeros, you know, nothing really sticks. But remember when all those new bands came out? So you got Block Party, mm-hmm. Franz Ferdinand, yep. Hot Hot Heat. Kaiser Chiefs, the Future Heads. Remember all those that came alongside, you know, like the European equivalents of the Strokes, which was kind of happening in the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs kind of Mm -hmm, emergence. mm -hmm. One of the other ones that kind of came out of the blocks huge was We Are Scientists. Do you remember them? Yeah. So, you know, they had the big single, Nobody Move, Nobody Get Hurt. They were kind of like, in a way, they kind of took some of the energy of Bare Naked Ladies, you know, like tongue in cheek. But really great grooves, huge choruses. Like these dudes know how to write songs. I kept up with them. I saw them, I think, with Franz Ferdinand or Kaiser huh. Chiefs. That's a, Maybe with the future heads, you know, yeah. when they all plowed through LA during my LA years. And they put on a really good show, but I somehow lost touch with them over the years. And they kept putting out records. And then when I kind of heard the new one, Lobes, and the previous one, Huffy, which kind of they say go together. They said Huffy was their daytime album. Lobes Mm -hmm. is their nighttime album. Huffy came out in 2021. Lobes is coming out in a couple weeks. And oh my God, once again, like I'm like, why have I not followed this band the entire time? Really, really big hooks, sing-along choruses, clever lyrics. Even though they're maybe not as is in the mainstream as they once were. Like, I bet they still have a really solid live act and following. And so highly, highly recommend We Are Scientists Lobes. I liked it so much. I actually have their entire catalog on back order now. Oh, you did, you, did the, you did the completest thing. Yeah. The I, I'm like, okay. completest. <laughs> I must have everything. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to talk about one of my all-time favorite record or mm-hmm. artists and one of my all-time rock star crushes, Angela Purley, she is out of Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where, you know how certain artists can be really, really huge in one region of the country and then almost completely unknown elsewhere. Yeah. And right. So right, that's right. kind of where she's yeah. building her base in the Midwest and really taking on the East Coast and now the South. So she's really kind of coming on strong. So if you like... You know, I kind of see her kindred in spirit to Dolly Parton, you know, especially with her vocal range, Mm -hmm. Lucinda Williams, Nico Case, and one of my favorites from last year, Amanda Shires. And she kind of has that sound that straddles both indie rock and alt country, but as well as mainstream country. So you know how Brandy Carlisle and Lone Justice, indie rock and college people, college rock people say, oh, those are our artists. And yet country people are like, no, those are our artists. Makes for an interesting gathering, wouldn't it? Exactly. But, yeah. You know, so like, and I love her stage style. It's all my crushes rolled into one. Susanna Hoffs of the Bangles, Casey Musgraves, and then especially Heather Graham from the Austin Powers movies. Does you've that kind you've of genetically retro. engineered your perfect alt country rock star. Exactly. (laughs) Basically, both sonically and style-wise, everything I want in a rock star. And she's also an amazing electric guitarist. And so, because a lot of times, you know, it's the vocal performance that gets Mm -hmm. you in the song. Mm -hmm. Then other times, like, I literally swoon over her guitar solos. They're just absolutely amazing. And I pulled up one of my reviews, because I've been following Pearly for years. And Mm -hmm. and in one of my initial reviews of one of her records, I said, Angela Pearly's dreamy mix of Americana, country, and rock and roll is the perfect soundtrack for long nighttime journeys between imagined gigs at the Grand Old Opry and the Roadhouse Bar in Twin Peaks. 
<laughs> nicely so, done. Yeah. I like the Twin Peaks reference. That's a oh, good yeah. one. She's yeah, totally yeah. like uh, right out of a David Lynch fever dream. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. you know, if you like country with like a good slide guitar kind of in there, but it's dreamy and a little bit otherworldly, you know, and really emotional, heartfelt lyrics. Turn Me Loose, the new album by Angela Purley is amazing. And check out some of her old stuff. She was she used to front a band called Angela Purley and the Howling Moons. Yes. And Athens, yeah. a tribute not to, you know, the overseas city, but the college town in Ohio. And I'm from Cleveland, but mm-hmm. Cleveland and Athens are a million miles away. Sure. But sure. her song, Athens, check that one out. Find it on YouTube. Find it on your streamer. Oh, my God. Athens is still one of the best songs of the 21st century. For me. So, You've got a good number of very, very high quality picks. Oh, yeah. I'm so go, Purley, turn me loose. And then I'll one more and I'm going to kind of bring the mood down a little okay. bit. But it's still it's a very beautiful album. So I absolutely love the go-betweens. OK, so remember the go-betweens back in the day? Believe it or not, I don't know that band. Yeah. Well, check them out. They were really okay. kind of part of that jangle rock indie or like, you know, the kind of like the UK um, indie guitar sound from mm-hmm. back in the day, from all the way back in the 80s. Really, really beautiful music came from the band. But then um, Grant McLennan passed away, sadly. He put out some amazing solo stuff. And so Robert Foster, the other lead singer from that band has been going on for years now. And I think this is his eighth record. And so the candle in the flame comes out soon on Tapetti records. At least I think, let me make sure I don't want to. Okay. I think okay. you're, I think you're covered if you say coming out soon, because yeah, you don't really have a date. Coming out soon, it is Tapetti, And you know, like really a wide range of artists are on that label and stuff, including like, I think a while ago and I'll see if I'm wrong, but who cares if I am. You know, like Tom Cooper <laughs> from Cinderella put out a solo record on that. Could be wrong there, but in the comments, like and comment, see if I was sure, sure. Right, you know, right. My memory serves, but it's a great record label. And so, but here's the thing. So I put on the candle in the flame and it's a beautiful, beautiful testament to lasting and enduring love. You know, so I'm like, okay, this guy is clearly, clearly in love with his wife or his partner. You know, so I listened to it first and really just kind of let those songs kind of sink into me. Well, then I kind of read up on the press that kind of came with this one. And turns out his wife of 32 years, Karen, was diagnosed with cancer. Even though he wrote a lot of these songs before her diagnosis, they kind of morphed as she went through chemotherapy. And Mm -hmm. they kind of like these songs kind of chronicle her journey. Hmm. And she contributes to the album throughout. And it's really sweet because when you say the vows till death do you part, you always think that that's a million miles in the future. When someone goes through cancer and my ex-wife, who I'm still really close with today, she went through cancer and a year of chemo in 2016. And it becomes very real when you go through something like that, how fragile this life is and how Mm -hmm. very soon you could be separated forever. And so this could be a really, really sad album, but it's not. It's really kind of a testament to lasting love. You know, I really recommend Robert Forster's The Candle and the Flame, and it dovetails nicely because I know we have to go. We do, because um, we're going to be getting limited. Has a beautiful song called Hawaii, which is about John Lydon's love for his wife with terminal dementia. So oh, highly yeah. recommend it across the board. Let's go talk to some Ward White. How does that sound? We will get to Ward White right now. Ward White is an L.A.-based singer, songwriter, and producer who started recording in the late 90s. He has a slew of albums. The most recent is titled Ice Cream Chords. The website, New York Music Daily, wrote this about him. 
the songwriter who got his start around the turn of the century working the corners of what was then called alt country has reached a rarefied first ballot hall of fame terrain typically reserved for people like david bowie and richard thompson it's not hype to say that white ranks with both he can sing like the former if he feels like it and like the latter can be a force of nature on the fretboard but ultimately it's tunesmithing that distinguishes him most and with that keith and i welcome ward white to the planet lp podcast hey there ward hi how are you guys Doing well, doing awesome. well. I'm glad to have you on finally. Excellent. This is going to be awesome. No, yeah. it's my, pl- my pleasure. So as I said at the outset, more than one critic has noted that your vocal phrasing on this record sounds a bit like David Bowie at times. Yeah. Is he an influence on your work? Oh, yeah. I would say, yeah. 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 I would say he he probably qualifies if we have to pick a, a primary influence, mm-hmm. I would I would always go back to Bowie as the, as the gold standard there. I was playing your record. I had picked up my daughter from work last night. We were driving back and I was listening to your record, your current record, Ice Cream Chords. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, she goes, who is this? And I said, well, I'm interviewing him tomorrow. His name is Ward White. I said, do you hear kind of a David Bowie thing? Like from like a little ashes to ashes. And she goes, is that the one that goes funk to funky? I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I started kind of mimicking the David Bowie one. And then I turned up the volume on you. And she goes, I totally hear it. And I... <laughs> So all right. he said, and he's funny too. I said, his lyrics make me laugh. I said, when, I, when I'm listening to him, she goes, really? I said, he rhymes Pontiac and Fond du Lac. I yeah, mean, how well, many people choose Fond du Lac, Wisconsin as a place to, to, to situate a song? And she goes, that's pretty good. All right. So yeah, we really enjoyed the album. It was, it was Keith who turned me on to this record. He was all like, oh my God. You have to listen to this because this is my latest high rotation album, and I said, "Oh, right. that's that yeah. is so flattering." No, I and I I really appreciate that, Keith, for for passing it on, and I'm I'm so glad that you've been you've been digging it. Ted gets all the Bowie references. I don't have that big of a Bowie understanding, and so I was getting like Paul Weller, you know, the Divine Comedy, Martin sure. Fry from ABC, Spandau Ballet. So yeah, there's something for everybody in these songs. There, there, there is you know, kind of the well of influences is, is pretty deep. You know, I've certainly been an omnivore when it comes to, to music consumption over the years. So there's going to be a lot of stuff that creeps in and there's a large number of records and they're all, they all tend to be pretty different as an undercurrent that stays consistent as far as, as the songwriting and the approach to the songwriting, but there's uh, all sorts of different sounds, different instrumentation, you know, it's run the gamut from, from that review, you know, yeah, going back to the nineties, there was probably a bit of what would have been called an alt country twang to what I was doing. You know, I was very heavily into Graham Parsons and, and Hank Williams at the time. And it's never been an attempt to really sort of ape any of those artists or their particular sounds, but it just, as an artist, it just, it leeches in and and it comes out through the work, you know, wherever you happen to be focused at the time. The term ice cream chords, I hadn't heard that until I, one, got your record and then started reading the reviews about the record. But explain a bit what that means in terms to musicians, like when they say, hey, these are the ice cream chords, man. It's an archaic uh, musician songwriter term that Mm -hmm. um, really is is a catch-all for any sort of hackneyed or overused musical tropes. And when you're talking about songwriting, there are particular chord changes that have really been around seemingly for time immemorial that are just, they're pleasing to the ear. They've been, they have been recycled so many times that they can elicit an immediate, uh, you know, emotional response from a listener Mm -hmm. in there. And they, so it tends to mean somebody using predictable 
changes, uh, stock changes, you know, every doo-wop song or everything doo-wop adjacent, but it really has older roots than that. Going back to the, you know, great American songbook era, you know, mm-hmm. you know, when you talk about songs like Blue Moon, which we, we think of as, you know, we think of the Marcel's version, you know, the doo-wop version, but it's actually, you know, it's a, it goes back to the thirties, you know, hmm. like these are, these are all uh, old tunes. And so that's been recycled over and over. And you tend to fall on these sorts of comfortable changes, whether you want to or not. So in a way it was just, you know, it was a bit of a jab, uh, you know, it's like calling your record unadulterated pap or something. It's like, okay, here you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving the people what they want. But again, that's, that's sort of a winky joke too, because I don't, I don't really ever do that. My music has always been a little more circuitous uh, from a harmonic standpoint. I, I really don't always go to particularly predictable places as far as uh, uh, melody and harmony. Yes, definitely. It's not D A. E, you know, I don't right. see those chord progressions and things right. like that. Yeah. Once I got into the album and started digging into it a little bit more, I realized, oh, the song is a critique of ice cream chords. I get it. Oh, nice. Okay. But as I said earlier, you really did make me laugh. And the first time I heard the record, I just started streaming it through my phone. I put on some earbuds and I was making dinner for the family. And then I'm just sort of like bopping along and and suddenly you referenced seeds and stems and Frampton comes alive and I had to stop yeah. and I started laughing and, and uh, my wife comes in because what's so funny? I said, this song I'm listening to, I said, he just referenced Frampton comes alive. <laughs> she goes in a good way. I said, I think it's meant to be funny. At least I hope so. And then like, even on the song shorter, you, you weave in the, the line one toke over the line. Oh yeah. And, I, yeah. I, th- I think it's, I think shorter is, is probably the only song this year that you will hear that references Brewer and Shipley and Julius Caesar. (laughs) That's awesome. I I love the line. We're getting duller. It kind of reminded me a little bit of like David Byrne, like something that he would, he would write. It just felt like, because you said shorter at first and then duller. And I thought, yeah, I guess we are in some ways, you know, like seems to be a little bit standardized sometimes. And, and, and the dulling, the dulling of the blade, you know, that, that, uh, you know, we just, uh, we're careless with it. You know, that, the line that followed, we're, we're all getting dull. Careless butchers don't respect the blade. Yeah. The idea yeah. that uh, as we as we slash and burn in any number of ways, that blade gets damaged and compromised. Thank well, you. now that oh, I know the truth, I'm going to stick to my original version of what ice cream chords meant to me was like 31 flavors, you know, because every oh, right. song <laughs> is so delicious on the album. Like, God, you have so many different things to choose from as you kind of go through the album. So that's... I'm, I'm sticking with it, but no, yeah. that actually that, that, that is not far off, uh, at all. I mean, if you look, that's sort of reflected in what we did with the art direction on the, on the cover design, you know, which is that very, very hyper colored frantic setup there, you mm-hmm. know, which is actually a real spot. That's my neighbor's living room, if you yeah. can believe that. And all that art is his, his, his art. And, you know, so we've got the neon in there and then that's, you know, the, the sort of multicolored neon in the in the uh, font for the title as well. So it really did feel like, I mean, I, I think the record does feel that way. I think it, it is uh, certainly not a monochromatic exercise, sonically speaking. We're champions of the physical media here at the Planet LP. And so I highly recommend people checking it out on CD. You do a really nice job packaging, you know, in terms of the oh, booklet, the you. full presentation, the whole nine yards. It's like, okay, this is going to be something I'm going to be pulling off the shelf for years to come versus streamer where, out of sight, out of mind. Right, know? right. Yeah, that, that's true. I think there's there's a certain level of commitment when you you actually have the physical copy of 
of a record, whether it's vinyl or whether it's CD or you know, I guess cassette is still around too, but you yeah. make the commitment to put it in the player and you're going to sit down and listen to it. Oh, it's true. That's, I mean, that's the the thing that's really been lost, unfortunately, is that the attention span, which really, you know, when you think of it is not asking all that much, you know, mm-hmm. what, like 38 minutes for people right. that, that seems absolutely unimaginable now that people would sit like we used to do, you know, you would sort of fetishize the whole item, you know, gatefold LPs and you'd open it up and you'd read the credits while you listened and you'd wait for the side to be over. And you you know, you weren't jumping around with a stylus, you know, it's just not designed for that. But nowadays with TikTok, you know, people even just take the hook, you know, oh, so yeah. they only yeah. know the song for the hook and what it means to dance to it or whatever you're going to do for your little TikTok for a second. I'm much more old school, like to kind of dive into the whole thing, start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know, things are kind of circular and maybe that level of listening will come around at some point in history in the future, at least. So I was thinking about the lyric on ice cream chords where you said all the stupid songs you make us play, put all your ice cream chords away. Yeah. Now I, I worked in radio for a lot of years. I'm not in it anymore. I just do the podcasting on the side. I even in my twenties worked as a mobile DJ. And so when I heard that lyric, it made me flash back to this time when I had to play these songs that had the ice cream chords, which, you know, let's be honest, they're not always a bad thing. It's just, if, no, it's, no. if it's overplayed, it just tends to be like, oh God, not again. Right. But when that's all what people seem to want, it can, can make one cringe. And so when that kind of struck me, when I've listened to that lyric, I thought it just took me back to that time where I had to play these songs that sometimes it would just would really be very difficult. And I remember one of my friends in radio, he said, I was like really fuming. He was sitting in the studio with me. I said, God, this song sucks. He goes, well, man, you know what they say? One of my program directors said, he said, when you're playing something that you think is a stiff, which, you know, is a record that's not not very good. Yeah. Says, you, you just smile a little more when you introduce it. That's God. all. <laughs> God, ain't it the truth? Yeah. I said, so we have to polish up these turrets, huh? He goes, yeah, you do. Yep. That's kind of your job is in radio. So. I was young. He was a little bit more seasoned. So he was kind of, you know, passing down that information. It's a tough thing though. You know, when you're, when you're the person who's in the position to, to present it, whether you're, you're a DJ or whether you're a, you know, a writer and performer, you know, invariably you make a record. Everyone's favorite song is the one you hate. (laughs) It never fails. The, the one that you actually got to the 11th hour and thought this thing isn't good enough to be in. Let's dump it. No, all right, leave it. We'll leave it. That's the one everybody loves, but you can't say that you have to. Oh, great. Oh, you like that one? Yeah. That one is deep stuff, man. The line that you mentioned, it's actually an internal dialogue Mm -hmm. in a sense. It's, it's the songwriter who is very conflicted about what he does recognizing, uh, you know, you're just, you're just giving him crap. You're giving him crap. You know, it's not the best you can do. And he's telling himself, quit it with that. We deserve better. Don't make us do this again. And the us is actually just this individual. Well, it spoke to me. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) It did take me back. And again, you know, the intention of the artist is one thing, but then when the listener listens, sometimes it takes them in different, down different oh, paths. So oh, I, yeah. I, I, I hope it does. You know, yeah. I always hate when people ask me, well, what's his song about? It's like, it's whatever you heard, that's what it's about. I don't yeah. want to be here to dictate that to you. I mean, that's sort of the joy of it is that I like reading reviews or hearing people tell me their, their interpretations because they're often so wildly far off what I had in mind <laughs> that I'm, that's the beauty of it. That's why I, you know, I enjoy leaving that degree of opacity in the lyrics. I don't necessarily want it to be so 
linear and obvious what's happening because then you're you are anchored to this one interpretation. You hear what you want to hear, and that's that's great. It reminds me what you just said. I, I'm a big fan of the film director David Lynch, and he never oh, ever reveals what the movies or even Twin Peaks are about. I remember seeing him on many interviews where they would ask him, I said, so when this happened in this scene, what did it mean? And he would always turn around and he goes, well, what did it mean to you? Well, you're the one that created this. So you tell me, he goes, no, I'm not going to tell you. That's the whole point of art. You experience it as you experience it. I'm not going to be the one. I know what I intended, but I'm not going to tell you. Also remember that the artist is not always entirely sure what's mm-hmm. happening. I mean, I, I'm certainly not when I write when I go through the process of writing, I know something is happening in these songs and I have an inkling whether it's a good thing or a bad thing or whether there's tension or whether there's not, but I couldn't specifically tell you what, you know, what's going on here. And I do my best to extrapolate from the pieces that I start to hear and I'll get a, you know, a vague handle on the neighborhood it's living in, but I don't always, I don't always have the answer. This is actually a good segue because I wanted to talk about the Mezcal Moth video. You do yeah. really good videos because it's always a thing to put visual to the song right. and not, as you say, tell people this is exactly what the song means. And I really loved, you got like a Glenn Fry Smuggler's Blues kind of theme. If you've ever <laughs> right. seen Man Trap, the ABC film that they did for their first movie that has these kind of like spy, it's almost like a movie. Like how did the Mezcal Moth video come together? In the case of that one, it really does sort of follow the narrative such as there is one in that song. And I don't want to sort of pull anybody away from their interpretation of what's happening. But uh, the idea is this is this is a songwriter, probably a pop icon who has fallen from grace in the United States. Uh, he is he has done something to disgrace himself and he is no longer he is no longer the uh, the draw that he once was. He has fled the United States and he is hiding somewhere, presumably in Mexico. And he's taken on a gig doing two shows a day in this dumpy bar come showroom. He's burnt out and he knows his time is short. The audience is getting thin and there's also political unrest that is beginning to boil over. And there's there's revolution afoot and his benefactor there is now realizing that he has to change his tune and now it's Yankee get out. And that's sort of what's happening here. So the, the protagonist in this song is realizing he's got to get out also is, is sort of delusional enough at this point that he's imagining himself as Bob Dylan writing just like Tom Thumbs blues from highway 61 revisited. So the song is actually full of references to the song, just like Tom Thumbs Blues. That's the When You're Lost in the Rain in Juarez and it's Easter time too. And it kind of goes from there. You have like a major label rock video there, you know, big production values. Did you guys shoot this on the fly or did you really raise the funds and get a crew together? Because it looks great. Oh, well, thank you so much. You know, there is a crew on that and that the whole thing was helmed by my girlfriend, Heidi Adams, who is as a long career as a commercial and, um, production designer. So she's, she's worked in the industry for a long time and she directed this and she put the crew together. These are all people that she's, she's worked with. Yeah. We had this cinematographer and focus puller and, and, uh, you know, had uh, good friends who, who was a wardrobe designer who got us access to, uh, you know, the ABC Disney wardrobe. So we could, and she went and pulled pieces for us based on the sort of 70s polyester theme. Really nicely done because I even I was watching the Dirty Clouds video and you just have a gift for finding like the right visual 
to go with it. Like you have a beautiful oh, guitar you. solo in that song. And yet in the visual, you're sitting there reading a vintage Esquire magazine while yes. the guitar is sitting next to you, which was just, <laughs> I just laughed hysterically. Well, awesome. I just, you know, that one I couldn't resist. It's because invariably the most preposterous moment in any 1980s video is is the guitar solo, you know, the big face melting guitar solo where you actually have the guitarist just aping it there. Yeah. To no sound, you know, feel making all the feeling it faces and bending. And it's just like, this is so stupid. It's great on record, but this is the, now he has to act it out. Just every level of it is just, just doesn't really sell. So I figured, well, this is kind of the anti video moment for the guitar solo. Yeah, put that back to back with Slash outside the church in the windstorm. Exactly, you know? <laughs> with, with with ten industrial fans on him and a rain machine. It's like that's really not how that went down. But hey, exactly. Yeah, so nicely done on the video. So I highly recommend to our viewer, our listeners, check them out on YouTube. There's lots of fun stuff there. So I see the dude from Devo is a big fan of yours, and by the dude from Devo, I'm talking about Mark Mothersbaugh. Yes, do you know each other professionally? Or did he sort of become a fan just by discovering your music organically. He is a friend to myself and my girlfriend. We are just personal friends with he and, and his wife and his kids. They've known each other for a long time. So I, I've got to know him over, over recent years since I came to LA. So that's how he became aware of what I did. So obviously there was a connection there. And a couple of years ago, invited me to be on a, a video podcast that he did called uh, Launch Left. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the concept of that is, you know, uh, well-known and established artists are asked to, to choose a lesser known artist that they would like to shed some light on. So he asked me to be his guest. So that's awesome. Yeah. Excellent. When we usually have guests on, we, we ask them often, not always, especially if they have an album that they are, they have just released to pick a song. You're the DJ now. I know that you said that sometimes you don't want to play the song that everyone loves as the hit. Right. But off this new album, Ice Cream Chords, what what song really, really, like you said, ah, oh, man, this is a favorite of mine, personal favorite of mine. Which one would it be? Uh, you know, that should be a simple answer. Um, yeah. You know, it always changes and they they all do different things. And of course, I'm avoiding answering this question. And I, will, <laughs> I will for some time. It's hard to pick when you are the artist because you don't hear it the way the audience does. Mm-hmm. When I hear the song, I don't hear the song. What I hear is the process. I hear every aspect of the process from the beginnings of writing it and structuring it to the recording of it, to the mixing, to the mastering and all the concomitant problems that went along with it. So oftentimes it's a song that's perfectly serviceable, but you hate it because you are tied to a negative memory that, for instance, you couldn't get the bass sound you wanted when you were mixing. Mm-hmm. But, all right. Now that I have wasted time enough there, I like, <laughs> I, I like Mezcal Moth. The measure for me is, did it come close to what I had in my head when it was finished? And this one did. Uh, I think I got the lyric where I wanted it to be. And I like the production on it. I like the mix on it. I like the incorporation of sort of the the bubblegum elements of it and some of the disco elements, which are seemingly disparate, but but in a way, I just it just keeps it up and kind of fun. I like the the electric sitar on it. I think works. If I can sneak in, the other ones I think work pretty well. I think Like a Bridge is a song that was fairly successful. Right. Uh, I particularly like the bass line on that. Yes, it does kind of groove, doesn't it? Yeah, and it was yeah. really, that that baseline. It's really built around that baseline, and the baseline is doubled by a by a muted clean. Uh, electric guitar, which helps to sort of give a, a more of a percussive aspect to it, which is an old Motown arrangement trick. I should point out that Mezcal Moth 
and the song Ice Cream Chords are actually a diptych. Ice Cream Chords is the second chapter in the story of the aforementioned disgraced pop idol who has to uh, who has to Ooh. get out of his his host country and what actually happens is he is captured and he is extradited back to the United States and he has to stand trial for his crimes against art. Okay. Wow. It's knew? a concept album in a way. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what's happening there. It's that whole song is sort of a it, it's a riff on the on the Leonard Cohen dictum, uh, you know, a singer must die for the lie in his voice. Wow, very oh, okay. cool. Now I'm going to be listening to this with some fresh ears. And all that. Yeah. It's like a big stinky onion. <laughs> <laughs> so we will close out by playing yeah. Mezcal Moth from the latest album from Ward White, Ice Cream Chords. Ward, thank you so much for yeah. being on the Planet LP podcast. Absolutely my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> i
In the history of early punk bands, the Nervous Eaters are right up there as firsts. Coming out of Boston, Massachusetts in the 70s, they are led by Steve Cataldo, and they have a long and storied past with moments of breakups and touring with bands like Pretenders, Iggy Pop, The Ramones, The Police, and even The Go-Go's. The band's latest album is called Monsters and Angels, and like I said at the outset of the episode, made our best of 2022. We are thrilled to have the Nervous Eaters bassist, Brad Helene. Hi there, Brad. How you doing? Doing great. And uh, Keith is going to lead with the first question of our little interview with you. Before we get into the Nervous Eaters, let's get your origin story, Brad. You know, you've been around the block, around the globe. You've played with Ministry and Rico Kasich. Like, how did you find the Eaters or how did the Eaters find you? I graduated high school in 75. And two weeks after I graduated, I was on the road at that time in history. Every hotel had a lounge and every lounge had a band and every band played six nights a week, five weeks in the same place. And I did that for a number of, a couple of years. And I moved to Boston in 78. At that time already, the Boston, Boston had an amazing local scene and hooked up with the band as soon as I moved here. And, and of course, everybody knew who the eaters were because they're one of the architects of Boston rock and roll. And, and I think it's a bit of a misnomer actually calling them a punk band because they're way too deep for just being a punk band. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I guess maybe the the aggressiveness of punk is kind of the, the yeah. You know, well, that's in there because you know we yeah. were we were all young men when the Clash and the Jam and the Ramones and the Buzzcocks and all those great pop punk bands were were making records, and so it was part of everything. So my my history is, I mean, I've been doing this full time since 1975. So I've mm-hmm. played on over 200 released records myself, and I've toured and recorded with Iggy Pop, like you said, Ministry, Amy Mann. Johnny Winter, a lot of blues artists, James Cotton, Billy Boy Arnold, Jimmy Vaughn, Duke Robillard, Room Full of Blues, Susan Tedeschi. It's it's a long list. I mean, I saw the Eaters early on, and of course, you know, always just love Steve's songwriting. I think he's criminally unknown as a songwriter, guitar player, and singer to the world at large. One memory that goes way back, December 8th, 1980, which was the night that John Lennon was assassinated, we we're on a bill together. And Steve and I didn't know each other at the time. I, I was playing in a band called Pastiche and he was headlining the date. And so that that's something. And the other, last year, December 8th, we were rehearsing and we kind of looked at each other and we were like, wow, you remember 42 years ago, we were in the same room together and we didn't really know each other. And hmm. So, you know, time goes on and after ministry and doing a bunch of other stuff, the Eaters bass chair opened up in 19... 19- 87 and I wanted a gig and the guitar player who I knew was Billy Lesigian, who was the guitar player in Willie Alexander and the Boom Boom Band, who I later, after we spent some time in the Eaters, we started a band called the Joneses, which got signed by Ahmed Erdogan to Atlantic Records. Uh, that band was kind of like free, bad co, very British blues type of group. But anyway, so Steve said to me, he goes, well, first, before you audition for the Eaters, you have to, I want to see how you play blues. And I was like, my, my, you know, my blues reference at that time was like Jeff Beck, Truth, early Zeppelin records. Of course, I knew about the chess catalog and everything, but Steve was really already way into that. And he knew. And so he gave me a cassette tape, which I still have, of mostly chess stuff, Holland Wolf, Muddy Waters, Sonny Boy Williamson, Memphis Slim, all that stuff. And, you know, he had a blues band and I went down and played with them and 
and I, I, I did okay. And so I got the audition with the Eaters and got the gig. And that served me well, that little thing with Steve there, because uh, later I went on to play with a lot of those guys. And the first time I played with Hubert Sumlin, Holland Wolf's guitar player, was with Steve. So I know this is a long answer to your question. Yeah. but No, it's, it's awesome. It's fascinating. It's been decades and decades of experience. And Steve is a really, really deep guy. That's why he doesn't really sound like anybody else. His vocal phrasing is very reflective. He's way into James Brown and, you know, all the Southern Soul stuff, Stacks, High Records, American Studios, you know, Muscle Shoals, like I said, James Brown, you know, as well as all the blues stuff and as well as all, all the British Invasion stuff like the Animals and the Kinks and Beatles, Stones, Dave Clark Five, and then, you know, all the, all the punk stuff too. And we also love Tom Petty. And any other great singer-songwriter that has good sensibilities writing great songs. That's kind of the yeah. answer to that question. Well, it makes sense because that's why Ted and I on our previous podcast really love the album is it sounds like almost like a million different bands, but yet it also is very cohesive. And so there's so many different sounds from the post-punk, as you said, the blues, some are very pop leaning. And so it's just such an incredible ride to go through the record. When you were putting it together, like how did you guys find Steve Van Zant, or did Steve Van Zant check you guys out? Like how did you get signed to Wicked Cool Records? That's another long historical answer, but I will answer it. So when I was in ministry from 1981 to 84, the band was managed by Lookout Management, which was Elliot Roberts, who managed Joni Mitchell, Tom Petty, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and also managed a Boston band that was breaking out and becoming huge called The Cars. Their East Coast rep was a gentleman named Steve Berkowitz, who basically, and ministry was managed by Lookout too. So, and we recorded our first record, the record on, well, not the first record, but the first record on a major label, which was on Arista. We recorded that at Synchro Sound, The Cars studio. So I saw Steve every day because he did the day-to-day -day operations for The Cars and was kind of the East Coast rep for Lookout. He paid me every week. I got to be really good friends with him. The drummer in, in The Eaters is David McLean, who was the drummer in Willie Alexander and the Boom Boom Band. He's on both of the MCA records, 1976, 1977. Berkowitz was the road manager for that band. Berkowitz did some videos and hung out a lot with Adam Sherman, who's the other guitar player, when he was in a band called The Souls and Private Lightning, which was on A&M back in the late 70s, early 80s. He's the other guitar player in The Eaters. And Rick did the demos for the Eaters that got him signed to Elektra because the cars were on Elektra. Berkowitz was very instrumental in that. So it made sense. And I've known, been friends with Steve for a long time, and he's a blues man himself. He's a guitar player. I don't know if you know who Steve is, but he was also the head of Sony Legacy for 25 years, did all the remastered box sets for Miles Davis, Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, you name it. He was the obvious first guy. So I was with Duke Robillard for 12 years and I gave my notice right before the pandemic, February of 2020. About two days after that, it just happened that Steve and I stayed in touch the whole time that after I did my tenure with him in the 80s, because I just always loved his writing and he would send me new songs. He's writing, what do you think of this song? What do you think of this song? So he called me and asked me if I knew any bass players. Because he said, my bass player just left. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm free. And I just figured any chance to get down there and play Last Chance, Girl Next Door, Just Head, Loretta, all those iconic songs that he's written, I'm all about it. So I went down and then, then he started playing me all the new material and I was floored. I said, you know what? We got to go in and do a demo. 
So we went in and we cut three songs. We cut, and they all ended up on the record. Hop Singh said, Superman's Hands and End of the World Girl. Hmm. And I called Berkowitz and I said, hey, I'm working with the Eaters again. And he goes, oh, that's fantastic. I love Cataldo. And I said, yeah, me too. So he said, send me a song. So I sent him End of the World Girl. He loved it. And he goes, send me the other two. And I sent him the other two. And he goes, these are all great. He goes, I know just the guy to play them for. And him and Van Zandt are very close. So he played them for him. And within 24 hours, we were inking out the deal. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That's awesome. You usually literally have a best-selling book here just based on some of the, <laughs> what you've told us about your life story getting to this moment. So it's amazing. The story behind End of the World Girl, because that is my favorite track on the record. It's one of those songs that's, and when I first heard it, I'm like, oh, this is right in my lane. And I sent it to Keith. I said, you got to hear this. And he's like, oh my God, I've had this on repeat for a while now. And so awesome. all the things... I like and Keith likes as well about post-punk is there and the story of how this came about, that it was a demo that I've got some new songs. What do you think? And then next thing you know, they're like, I want more. This is good. This is good stuff. As I said earlier, you know, this album made not only top songs, but top album of 2022 for, for us, genuine breath of fresh air from the moment I listened to monsters and angels. And you do have very varied musical styles on this album. You know, like I said, there's this sort of pop punk thing with into the world girl. And then the song Evelyn, this AOR FM rock kind of song. I was going to ask you like, you know, sometimes you sound like different bands, but when you sort of sketched out your history, now I know why, because you come from such a varied musical background. You've played with so many people that when we talked about, especially Evelyn on a previous podcast episode, I played oh, this I for Keith. That. Yeah, I played it for Keith, and he's all like, the same band? And I'm like, it is the same band. I, I heard that. Mike sent me that from Earshot. He sent me yeah. that, that thing, and you guys were gushing over. I told Steve that you guys really like that. Well, you know, we really like Led Zeppelin 1. That's kind of a tip of the hat to that. Without really ripping anything off but i mean that's really where that's coming from is like late 60s gotcha. british blues and i can and, hear it uh, i could totally hear it you know, i was all like wow this it, is it was, it, yeah this is a very album devastating for us you know like the rest of the world to hear of jeff beck's demise recently and mm-hmm. you know i mean yeah. we're huge fans of the yardbirds and everything that came out of that you know, it's like you think about, especially those first couple Jeff Beck solo records, Truth and Beckola, and, you know, the first couple, like the first three Zeppelin records, and and then, of course, Clapton's storied career, you know. Uh, you it's know, like an eight-minute song, too, so I could see where there's kind of a Zeppelin connection. Is it really eight minutes long? It's not, maybe not eight minutes, but it's a long song. It's I think it's I the longest like song on your, Zeppelin, on your record. I think it's only about four or five minutes. It's not really that. Is it really? It felt? I'd have to look at it, it again. but um, Takes you on that journey. Did you get in a studio for it, like with the band, or is it everything just file trading these days? No, 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 no. This was not a remote record. I did, I did eight records remotely during the pandemic. That because I have mm. a home studio, you know, where people sent me files and I just put bass on on people's records. Uh, I did eight records from home during that time. But we cut this, we cut these tracks live, and then oh, and then nice. of course added, you know, overdubbed guitars and vocals and all that stuff. But the, the so, basic tracks are all cut live. 
So I was wrong. Evelyn is not eight minutes. It's five minutes and 57 <laughs> seconds. So it felt long compared to the other songs because the other songs are roughly, you know, in the three to four minute mark, except for End of the World Girl. And I, I think uh, uh, Want You Like Before is also a shorter song. It's a two yeah, minutes, those are kind of like time. the two punkier type tunes on the record. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I was like, wow, this thing's going on for a while. And then when you mentioned the Led Zeppelin connection or that you're, you know, admirers of, of Led Zeppelin's, uh, at least the first three, maybe four albums that I thought, okay, I get it. Yeah. You're, you're going for the long form. Cause I just felt like it was a, it was like something I would hear back in the seventies on FM AOR rock, just uh, like a rock station, just FM progressive rock station. I'm like, yeah, I could totally hear this back then. <laughs> yeah. Nicely done. Thank so, you. um, have you been able to get radio airplay with the singles? Like, uh, I, I would imagine like end of the world girl would be picked up by like alt rock stations and things. Well, you know, Steve Van Zant, you know, owns the label and the underground mm-hmm. garage. We, we got three coolest songs in the world last year. And so, which meant that we were, we got played every four hours on all of his syndicated 60 stations every four mm-hmm. hours for about wow, 10 days cool. on each one of those singles, which were Wild Eyes, Superman's Hands, and Chad. Oh, uh, but cool. also Hop Sing and End of the World Girl were also digital singles and got, and we're still in heavy rotation. But you know, rock radio, yeah, it's dead, man. Yeah, I know. It's dead. I know. It doesn't exist anymore. Not like you know, thinking, back in the day. I was thinking like alt rock stations, like out on the West Coast, especially in yeah. San Diego, there's, there's like 91X, which still plays some really great mixes of music. But, you know, where I live in the San Francisco Bay area, there are no more alt rock stations. They, they went belly up. And right now it's yeah. all classic rock at this point. Yeah, well, if anyone from XRT is listening in Chicago, they should pick this up because it's a great record. I mean, Clear Channel has pretty much taken over most yeah. radio stations and it's just become very corporate and playlists are dictated. And it's just not like the old days, you know, uh, technology is great, but it's also been a hindrance. We are firm believers and all you people that are listening out there, please buy our record. We have it released on purple vinyl and a CD and we very much believe in the hard copy and it's, it's a form of art that we believe must be kept going and it's harder and harder these days. Just doing it all, but yeah, we're we're getting there and play. Like you know, I I've done a zillion interviews and podcasts promoting this record, and and Steve has done quite a few too, all over the world. And people have been very receptive of the record, you know. But it's still a tough market, like to get out on the road and try to make a living playing in an original rock band. Do even break even, yeah, with your travel costs and all that kind of stuff. And for our listeners, I highly recommend buying the CD. I bought it on Amazon. Nicely packaged, you know, I like a good booklet that has, you know, there's some interview stuff, lots of band photos. I like to kind of have that in my hand as I listen to it. And so really good job on the packaging and the sound is just amazing. Light years above streaming. So sample it on streaming, but then buy it on CD or vinyl and you're going to get a lot out of it. I'll just say this because I don't care, but to me, Spotify is the enemy and I don't support Spotify, not only because of the dumbed down financial aspect of it, but also because... I don't know exactly how many dB it is they cut on your mastering when you send it to them, but they want Mm -hmm. everything to sound the same, and it just doesn't sound good to me. It sounds like an MP3 or something. Probably because it is. (laughs) 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, we spent a lot of time mixing this record and had it mastered at Sterling. And we're really proud of the way it sounds, too. And so, you know, anyway, what are you going to do? You just all we can do is just try to keep going. We talk about it a lot on the podcast about the difference between, you know, OK, if you stream, it's a good way just to kind of dabble to see if you're going to like it. But man, the so- sonic fidelity you get like when I put a CD both in my dashboard on my car or at home on a really good stereo system, it's night and day. And I can't even go back to digital files. A lot of times we'll get sent the MP3s and stuff. And it really doesn't compare sonically to when you really get a good CD or a good mix in on vinyl the way it's supposed to be. So I highly recommend people still buy when you can. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's, and and, and then all that being said, and I see this, like I, you know, I'm, I'm working tonight. I work, I, I'm a freelance bass player, so I work all the time. And at the gig last night, you know, it was just, it was a, just a, a pub gig, you know, in a bar. And I was working with a really, really good cover band. And we're playing a variety of tunes, everything from Prince to Credence to whatever, all good stuff because we're, we're all older players. But, you know, I noticed, you know, a lot of people were dancing and have a great time, but also a lot of people are on their phones, preoccupied. And younger people, I'm not I don't I'm not gonna say this is a generalization because it's it's not completely true across the board. And I don't want to sound like an old man, but when we were kids coming up, we sat down and listened to whole records mm-hmm. and we read the liner notes and it was a thing. You know, we were so immersed and we didn't know what the bands looked like. There was no MTV. There was no, obviously, computers. There wasn't even CDs then. It was just like, you know, we didn't know what kind of gear people were using. So we got the tickets and we went to see them. And it was just a whole experience. And I feel that that experience is missing to some extent now. I agree. I agree. I see that people seem to be recording the performances on their phone. I'm all like, just put the phone down and enjoy it for what it is. You're not going to go back and review. First off, the sound quality is not going to be very good. Your video quality may vary. And so are you really going to sit there and watch a whole concert on your phone again that you shot? (laughs) Probably not. But yeah, it's just a sea of phones. If you were to pick one song off this latest record, that you wanted to feature and say, this is the song, which would it be? You're the DJ. Well, I, I love so many songs off this record, but I, I love Wild Eyes. Wild to Eyes. Me, I just think it's an amazingly well-written song. It's very compact for a pop song, simple, and just I, I, I'm really proud of the production and all the guitar arrangements on it. I mean, it's a very Tom Petty-esque type of song you know it's one of the reasons why steve's such a great writer is that he's like a tom petty or a john fogarty back in the credence days you know where he he really knows how to get a lot of mileage out of three or four chords well then why don't we end with that we will play that song right at the end of the podcast and uh, brad brad helene thank you so much for being on the planet lp podcast love the new record the nervous eaters Get it. It's monsters and angels. And as Keith says, buy it on CD because you're going to get that full sonic sound. Thanks for having me. And I just want to end with this, that we are in the midst of pre-production right now. And we're hopefully going to be back in the studio in April, early May to start work on the next record. We got a batch of killer tunes that we're really excited about. And uh, so we'll just try to keep the ball rolling here. Excellent. Awesome. And- That's so good. such good news. Can't wait. And that is a wrap. The first episode of 2023 started big. Thanks to Brad Helene and Ward White for being on the pod. Hey, Keith, thank you for reaching out to Ward to get him on the show. And thank you for listening. Until next time, take care.